Turn with me to that passage in Luke chapter 6, the one which Johnny read for us a moment ago on page 1034. We're not going to be working our way through this passage this morning, but it is the one that we'll come to uh, sort of in the center of our sermon and the one that I will spend a bit of time in. Uh, We're going to range back and forward through scripture a little bit this morning, but have that passage open before you. Let's pray. Father God, we've just been worshipping you. Uh, We've been singing that we live to serve your majesty. Lord, one of the ways which we must serve you is, is by paying attention to what you say to us, learning your will and your ways that we might obey you and live for you. Lord, help us to serve you now these next few minutes as we pay attention to your word and think on it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Charity begins at home. You'll be familiar with that expression, and it's one that you've maybe heard. You maybe hear it when somebody's out walking in the street and they see the the dreaded person, the the collector with the, the jar in their hand. Or nowadays, more likely, the the guy with the luminous bib and the clipboard wanting you to sign up for a a charitable direct debit. Charity Begins at Home is the kind of reply that, that you might hear. A person is confronted by the needs of somebody else, some stranger to them, somebody in a remote place, and their first reaction is to say, no, I, I can't and don't want to give over there because there are people closer to me whom I must care for first. Charity begins at home. It's an important thing for us to think about this morning, I think, at Kirkpatrick Memorial. One of the fears that was expressed in our church community and change launch workshop uh, at the end of September was that if we start to direct a lot of energy outside of our building to caring for people uh, beyond our own church family, that the care that we're able to give within our church family will be diminished, uh, that people inside of our own church might be overlooked. So there's a fear that paying attention to people out there will reduce uh, somehow the, the quality of care that we give in here. That's what we want to think about this morning. I want to go back with you for a moment this morning to the the parable of the Good Samaritan. We've quite often used it as a springboard in this series. So turn with me just a few pages over to Luke chapter 10 on page 1042. Jesus tells this story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, in response to the lawyer's question. Uh, We've been over this, so I can't dwell on it this morning. But the lawyer asks a question, who is my neighbor? He's been told that the law requires that we love the Lord our God and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. He asked the question then, who is my neighbor? And what he wants here is Jesus to give him a ballpark. He wants Jesus to, to draw a line around a group of people and say, these are the people that you have to love. And the reason he wants Jesus to do that is because he wants to know not only who's in the ballpark, but who's outside. Who are the people I don't have to love? Where does the the law, where do the requirements of the law end? 
This guy wants Jesus to agree with him that charity begins at home and it doesn't go very far. There's a small circle, a small ballpark. Jesus replies with his story famously where a Jew and a Samaritan are the main characters and the Jew who is a sworn enemy is shown mercy by by a Samaritan. And it blows the whole ballpark request to smithereens. Who are we to love in the name of Jesus? Well, anyone we find in need, anyone on the road, there is no ballpark. Now, that's all very well. In one sense, Jesus' parable is crystal clear. But I think if it answers any questions, it it just starts to ask new ones. If it's true that we are to care for all and to serve the needs of all, then surely there's another question. How do we prioritize? Where do we begin? Should we make any discrimination between the people who are closest to us, our friends, those in the Christian community, a community like this? Should we make any distinction between those people and the rest round and about? That's the question that I want to think about this morning with you. And I want to do it in the way that we always think about any question of this nature. That is to look at at God's word and to see as we look through the totality of scripture what the picture is that emerges. In a very real sense, the Bible does teach that charity begins at home. That is a teaching of the Bible. God puts the first responsibility for poverty on those who are closest to it. Leviticus 25, 25, we see what God's law has to say on this subject. If your countryman becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and to redeem what the countryman has sold. So the first person who has a responsibility to the person in need is is the person who's a relative, a family member, someone who's close to them. Secondly, the church... And I use that word just to mean the people of God, whether it's Old Testament or New. The church are repeatedly told that they must care for their needy members. In Deuteronomy, we read of of some laws there. Whenever the people gave a tithe of their income, part of what they gave was for those in need. So in Deuteronomy 15, we read God's law saying, Bring all the tithes of that year's produce so that the aliens the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. So the money the people gave, their tithe, in part was to serve the needs of the poor of their community. Israel's commitment to the poor doesn't doesn't stop at the end of the Old Testament, suddenly when the new community of Jesus Christ emerges. In Acts chapter 6, we read of a time, the, the birth of the, the welfare system in the Jerusalem church. There were some widows, Greek-speaking Jewish widows, uh, who, who weren't being cared for. And that, that was discovered as a problem in the church. And the church immediately went to action and set up a, a system to deal with that. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul urges that Timothy give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. I don't know if you know how important 
the, the ministry of mercy was even to Paul. If you read in Romans chapter 15, Paul explains how he's delayed a missionary trip to go west to Spain. That was his intention. He's delayed that trip so that instead he can go with an offering, uh, with some relief, if you like, to, to poor Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering as a result of a famine there. So Paul, who's renowned as the great preacher of the gospel to the world, the Gentile world, he recognized the role of this this serving ministry. So the church of Jesus Christ was always a place that cared for the poor. So the Bible's clear about this. Charity does begin at home. It begins in our biological families, and it should be a mark of our, our church family. Whatever we do, it seems to me, folks, in the months and years ahead, as we reach out from here into the the streets and the neighborhood around, if it diminishes the level of care that we're able to give to our own community, then we have failed. It's very important that whatever decisions we take and whatever initiatives we begin, that we continue to look after members of our own family here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. I want to take a moment with you just to remind you of what some of those serving ministries are at the moment. I'm only going to be able to touch the the very tip of the iceberg. But we have a a system of visiting with members of ours who are are sick or in hospital. Most of our housebound members have a visitor assigned to them, somebody who will call with them uh, on a regular basis just to, to keep in touch with them while they aren't able to get out from where they are at home. A number of our shut-in members get CDs uh, of the services that go on every week, again, to allow them to be part of of the worshipping community and to experience that in their own homes. Some families get uh, financial support from the Presbyterian Church's uh, Orphans and Children's Society. There There are loads more, some very, very spontaneous acts of generosity and kindness I couldn't possibly share them all with you this morning. But these things are going on here. People serving one another in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to take just a moment this morning to pay tribute to my colleague Edna Morrow, who serves here in her capacity as our pastoral care coordinator. Edna knows this work wonderfully well. Edna has a brilliant balanced ministry here among us. She, she understands that we, we share the good news of Jesus in our words every time we get the opportunity. And Edna does that often and regularly. But Edna also knows that we share the love of Jesus in our actions. So I'll, I'll know time and time again of, of little gestures or, or larger gestures where she's taken time and given of herself to serve the needs of others in our community. Folks, it's going on here. We are learning. We, we could do more, and I think we will do more, inside of our own community, learning to serve those people among us who, who need our help and our care. If it's true that charity begins at home, then the Bible goes on to say a lot more still about where charity ends. 
It may begin at home with the most likely people, those closest to us, but it ends much further afield in some very unlikely places. Throughout the Bible, we're encouraged to look beyond our families and our church communities. So we're encouraged, as in the story of the Good Samaritan, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we've already said that includes anyone in need. There's a a strand of teaching, particularly in the Old Testament, where we're told to serve strangers. Now, that word had a a particular uh, meaning in the Hebrew language and for the Old Testament people of God. A stranger was somebody who wasn't part of the Jewish community. Uh, We might talk of, of an immigrant or a member of an ethnic minority. So there were rules written into the laws of God's people of how they were to treat immigrants, the ethnic minority among them. It said, do not oppress or ill-treat an alien in Exodus 22. In Leviticus 19, the people are told, the alien living among you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself. Turn with me just for a moment to that passage. Look, chapter 6 on page 1034. In a sense, Jesus provides here, I think, the the summary argument for what we're thinking about this morning. Jesus challenges those who think that charity begins and ends at home. He says in verse 27, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who ill-treat you. You see, Jesus says, whenever our charity begins and ends at home, then we're not doing any more than any other normal person. He says in verse 32, sorry, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you're good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Jesus is making the point that when we simply care for those who are already part of our community, all that we're doing is establishing reciprocal relationships along the lines of, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. There's nothing very commendable in it. There's no grace in this. Even very selfish people know that it's worthwhile keeping the guy beside you sweet so that he'll look after you at the right time. Jesus points us to a much more dynamic and a much better way. Look at verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything in reward. Then your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Jesus says that we're sons and daughters of God that we start looking like the Father, that's what he means there, that there's a family likeness, that we start to to look like God whenever we don't limit our charity to home, whenever we go out to people whom we don't really know, to people who are strangers, even to people who might somehow feel like enemies to us. It's when we do this and when we live in this way that we start 
to model the life of Jesus Christ, to become like our Father God. Jonathan Edwards, uh, I'm talking here about the American preacher and theologian and not the, the long jumper, the triple jumper. He talks about the needs of the poor and he says that we're particularly required to be kind to the unthankful and to the evil and therein to follow the example of our heavenly father. We're obliged not only to be kind to them who are so to us but to them that hate and do spitefully use us. Folks, that's a a challenging message, I think. That our our mercy, our deeds of kindness can't be limited to those who will respond to them warmly and thank us for them. They'll have to go to people who, who may not respond all that well, even to people who may throw them back in our faces. But when we act like this, then we begin to mirror God among us. Our charity cannot end at home because it must begin to mirror the salvation offered by us, offered to us by God, God's grace to us. God's salvation, you see, reaches out to the whole world. It doesn't wait to ask who's going to say thank you for this. It doesn't wait to see who's worthy. It's offered to the whole world. Think for a moment of the ministry of Jesus. Did he limit his acts of kindness to his family, to his friends, to those who believed in him? Jesus healed ten lepers, even though he knew that only one of them would show any sign of of gratitude, would thank him for it. He healed Jews and non-Jews. He fed the crowd, the whole crowd, regardless of their response to him. He died for the world. For Jesus, charity begins at home, but it ranges throughout the world of human need. We're nearly out of time this morning, but I want to finish by sharing with you a couple of occasions from the history of the church uh, where, where God's people learned to reach out beyond themselves And that made an impact on the society around them. Julian became Roman emperor in 361 AD. And we have historical records of a letter that he wrote to a pagan priest at the time. And in this letter, he explained what he thought it was about Christian people that was making such an impact throughout the Roman Empire. He said, It is disgraceful that while the Christians support both their own poor and ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. So Julian saw, even in this community that he didn't didn't value, he saw their wonderful witness in the world around them. We know from historical documents that, that the thing that really struck Julian that distinguished Christian service from all other service was that they reached beyond their own community. There were other communities that that were good at, at being kind and hospitable among themselves, but the Christians demonstrably reached out beyond their own community. 
Serving the poor was at one time very central in the structure of a Presbyterian church. Whenever the the Reformed tradition first came to Scotland under John Knox, the leadership in churches was made up of two groups. There were elders and deacons. The deacons were responsible for the the economic and and total welfare of the, the members of any particular parish. Now that system didn't always flourish as it should have, but under one minister, Thomas Chalmers, He and his congregation showed what can be done when an ordinary group of God's people serve their community as they're called to. He came into a parish called St. John's in Glasgow in the early 1800s. There were 11,500 or so residents in the parish at the time. About a quarter of those were members of the church. 4,000 of these people were totally unchurched. And yet what Chalmers did was he divided the parish into sections or quarters, as he called them. He had a deacon appointed to each one, and that deacon's job was to keep an eye on that part of the parish, to see what was going on there, keep an eye on the economic conditions. When he found that that people were, were becoming unemployed, it was his role to see what could be done to get them back into employment. When he discovered kids who weren't being educated, it was his role to discover, well, well, how might we resolve that and bring these children into a schooling system? Whenever somebody was discovered to be poor and in need, the, the deacon would first of all look around that part of the parish, see what could be done very locally, and if it couldn't be resolved by the people immediately around them, the person's name was added to the the poor role in the church and they would receive benefits from the church. Why do I tell you this? I simply tell you this to show the lengths that people have gone to in the past, the efforts that they have made to, to make sure that the caring ministry that Christ calls us to became a part of their church life. Not an add on, Not an optional extra, but at the very center of who they were and what they did. At one point, Chalmers was criticized. Uh, People put it to him that he was competing with the the normal uh, welfare system set up and run by the government. And he agreed with them entirely. He said, yes, I am competing with it, but I'm doing much more. I'm doing more than the government will ever do. Because I'm pointing people to the one who can deal with every need. I'm pointing them to the one who can deal with their unemployment, their schooling, their poverty, but also their deepest need, their need to be made right with God, pointing them to Jesus Christ. Folks, charity begins at home. That's true. We need to keep an eye out for how we look after those in our community here at Kirkpatrick Memorial who need our help and our service. But if we're to follow Jesus Christ, our charity cannot stay at home. It must reach out and wander out from this place. It must learn to be characterized by the grace of God, a grace that that strides out into the world with a, a long embrace and reaches all.
Let's pray together. Father God, we're struck again by the the profound wisdom of your word, its recognition of, of the very deepest needs of our hearts and our lives. We know that the people nearest to us have, have problems and concerns and that they need care. Thank you that your word validates that. But Lord, we know also that there's a, a world beyond these walls where needs are great also. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to live the life that you call us to, to care for one another in here and also to learn how we might care better for those out there. Help us with these things, we pray. Amen.